He said to them, If any would come up to me after, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Forever who would save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in the adulterousness and sinful generation of him, will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and the holy angels? And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. The word of the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you that you're a God who reveals yourself to us. You're a God who is high and lofty and who uh, human words and understandings are too small to be able to understand and to know. But Father, you have chosen to communicate yourself in a time and in culture But most brilliantly, you have communicated yourself through Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. He is the image of the invisible God. Father, we confess that often though we see Jesus and hear Jesus in your word, we often don't trust Jesus. We look for alternate ways and alternate things. We follow false Christs to our own detriment. But Father, you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You know our weakness. You know that we are weak and frail. And Father, you love us. Your love is unconditional, not because of anything in us, but because of everything in you. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for your perseverance and your uh, blessing for us the last few weeks. Father, we lift up those who are struggling emotionally, mentally, physically. In our congregation, we pray for those that they would find solace in Christ when our normal routine, when our normal habits and patterns have changed, when we're with people 24-7 and at times when our self-control is low. And our self-pity is great. I pray that we would pursue Christ. We would pursue Christ in the midst of this when all the things that we trust, all the idols have been stripped away and cast aside and shown that they cannot provide. May we come to Christ. Father, I, I pray right now for those in our congregation who have been laid off or furloughed or lost their job. Pray for Ginger for Donna, for Virgil. Lord, that you would provide for them in this time of uncertainty and in need. Lord, give them favor with men as they apply for unemployment, as they try to cut through the bureaucracy and red tape. I pray that you would give them um, the ability to do that, to provide through those means. Father, I also pray that you would give them wisdom with the resources that they have. How can they be faithful stewards? But I also pray that the body of Christ would rise up and be generous. That we would take from our um, extra to be able to meet their lack. Father, I pray for the health care workers, Gil and Melissa and Emily and Scott Andrea, Lord, that you would provide for them. Protect them. I pray for the children who are accustomed to learning in a classroom and now are learning at home and online. I pray for the, ch- the parents that you would give them patience to be able to guide their children through this unprecedented time. Father, may we be faithful. I pray for our brothers and sisters who are not online and not able to do that, that we would be faithful to reach out to them and to call them and write them. Father, we also pray for those who are joining us online who probably would never come into the doors of this church. 
I pray that we would be faithful in our reading, in our singing, in our proclaiming the gospel, that they would hear clearly our hope in life and death is Jesus Christ, and they would put their faith in him. Father, give me boldness to proclaim your word today as you call all men and women in all generations to follow you. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you're not already there, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. We continue verses uh, the second half of uh, a sermon to be able to, um, who do you say that I am? On October 28th in 1949, Jim Elliott wrote in his journal... You can see it's underlined in pink in the middle of your screen. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. A few months later, in 19, a few years later, in, in 1950, Elliot was introduced to the Wanani tribe, a small but fierce tri- tribe in the jungles of Ecuador. Time Magazine called the Wanani, who were actually the Aka Indians at the time, which means savage, the Aka Indians, which uh, Time Magazine described as the worst people on earth, a pure Stone Age, unreached people in the jungles of Ecuador, who hate all strangers, and they live to hunt and to fight and to kill. However, the danger that Uh, was in the face of Jim Elliott, he knew and he sensed that the Lord was calling and Lord was leading him to leave middle America and the comforts of life in the 1950s and go to this remote savage tribe, if you will, to bring them the gospel. Jim formed a a group of five men and their wives and children, Roger Udarian, Pete Fleming, Nate Saint, and Ed McCullough, with their wives, and in some cases, Elliot's three-month-old baby. They left America and went to the remote jungles of Ecuador to follow Jesus and make him known. On January 9th in 1957, the, they made their first positive encounter with the tribe's people, one man and two women. And they, uh, when the tribe's people went back to their people, they convinced them, but they lied, that saying that the missionaries had actually attacked them. And the decision was made by the tribesmen and the warriors to go and to kill the missionaries because they feared outsiders based on their... Uh, experience in the past. Two days later, after their first initial meet, they went to the place where the missionaries were finding shelter around their plane, and they lured them away from the safety of the plane. They divided them in two numbers, and they speared them. As the attack unfolded, Jim Elliott, who was the the first man to be speared, had a choice. He reached into his pocket for his gun, and he could use the gun to defend his life and extend his life and protect his fellow comrades, or he could allow himself and the missionaries to be martyred. Elliot chose only to fire warning shots over the heads of the attackers, warning shots that went unheeded. Because he and all of them agreed ahead of time, they knew their eternal destiny was safe in Christ, and these people were not. And all five of those men, within moments, were martyred. As the the world mourned this, what they felt was the senseless slaughter of five young husbands and five young fathers, their wives knew their commitment to following Jesus was greater than the perseverance of their lives, was greater than themselves. Elizabeth Elliot, in her writings, as she went on to be a prolific writer, um, wrote these words. She said, 
They simply went there because they knew they belonged to God. Because he was creator and their redeemer. They had no choice but to willingly obey him. And that meant obeying his command to take the good news to every nation. Ocean Park, as we learn this radical call of Jesus, what makes a person submit everything, even their life, to King Jesus? What, what caused these five men and their wives to go into the remotest jungles of Ecuador knowing what would likely be the outcome? These men were convinced of the eternal value of Jesus Christ. And they were willing to follow him because it far surpassed the joys that anything this world could give. Both uh, sinful joys and pleasures or good things like family and health and good food and the comforts of a family. The value of knowing and following King Jesus surpassed the value of life itself. It's here in Mark chapter 8 where we have gotten to a turning point in the Gospel of Mark. A turning point where Jesus, as we saw last week, looks to his disciples and he says, Who do people say that I am? And they gave the long list of various people, and then he turned the question to them and said, who do you say that I am? You can't follow Jesus by proxy. You must follow Jesus by faith. And all of us, is, this is the foundational, fundamental question of our existence all mankind in all history have to answer the question, who do you say that Jesus is? And for those of you, like Peter, speaking for the apostles in verse 29, said, you are the Christ. Anyone who says and utters such a confession, Jesus puts a demand on them. Ocean Park, if you say Jesus is the Christ, it imposes a claim on you. A claim where that requires that self-denial and self-sacrifice to follow Jesus wherever he leads you and conducts yourself according to how he calls you to conduct yourself. Following Jesus is not for the faint of heart. It's not for the lovers of self. It's not for the complacent. It will require conviction and sacrifice and determination as you struggle to follow King Jesus. When your flesh cries out, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of your so my soul. The claim of Jesus is this. To follow King Jesus, you must deny yourself and die to self, or you cannot follow Jesus. To follow King Jesus, you must deny yourself and die to self, or you cannot follow King Jesus. Notice in verse 34, the call of Jesus to all who confess Jesus is the Christ. Notice the verse 34. And calling the crowd, Jesus expands it, and it's no longer just the disciples that he's speaking to. He expands it to include all of the crowd, all of these people who are now listening to this confession of Peter. And Jesus said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow him. Jesus puts two demands on his disciples, two ways that we have to uh, approach our own self and our own kingdom. The first one is you must deny yourself. Now this is not you must deny yourself luxuries and delicacies and extravagance and indulgences, though sometimes those things can be used or denied in order to draw us closer to Jesus. It's not asceticism or self-rejection or self-hatred, though that becomes following Jesus is twisted into those things. 
But following Jesus and denying yourself is the refusal to allow your self-interest to be the driving force of your life. To follow Jesus, you must abdicate the throne of your heart, the rule of your life. You abdicate that and you submit everything to the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, uh, your Lord, your Savior, your King. And you declare, my life is not my own. It belongs and submits to King Jesus. Not only does Jesus call us to deny ourselves, but he calls us to take up your cross. This was not a Jewish idiom that they would use, take up your cross, bear your cross. This was not. This was something that was quite honestly designed to shock his listeners in the first century. To utter such words to the Jews would have been absolutely revolting. Why? Because it was the cross that was the instrument of cruelty and destruction and pain uh, by the Roman Empire. The Romans used it to um, punish criminals and to quash rebellions. If you want to follow, follow him or her or this rebellion, whoever it is, the Roman government came and said, this is what will happen to you. It's significant when Jesus was on the cross, what did they put above his head? The king of the Jews. And they said, anybody wants to follow this king of the Jews, this is what's going to happen to them as he hung naked, shamed on the cross and died slowly and excruciating. And that's just the point. Jesus is declaring to the crowds and to the disciples, to you and to me, that following Jesus, there can be no rival kingdoms. You must crucify the kingdom of self that stands in opposition to the kingdom of King Jesus. Because Jesus wants you to know to follow King Jesus, you must deny yourself and die to self, or you cannot follow King Jesus. Ocean Park, uh, King Jesus, or following King Jesus is giving him complete control of your life. You might have seen the bumper stickers on the cars, maybe in the 70s. Jesus is my co-pilot. That's frankly, that's heresy. Jesus is the captain of the plane, and you're sitting in coat, coach with your seatbelt fastened and your seat backs up. Jesus has complete control. You're not in the cockpit, you're in the back, and you go where Jesus leads you. You must, to follow Jesus, cede full, complete control to him and follow him wherever he leads. You can't follow Jesus and drive the ship or fly the plane or drive the car. It all belongs to him. You follow where he leads. You work as he assigns you. You speak as he prompts. You live as he requires. Following Jesus doesn't give you any other options. Either you surrender to Jesus as Lord of your life, or you stand in resistance to Jesus. Now, sure, some people say they're following Jesus and they do what they, they're doing all kinds of things that they want. Everything their carnal desire wants them. But that goes back to the confession of the disciples. They're following a false Jesus. These Jesuses that are being promoted on TBN and the televangelists all the time, these these hucksters that are are peddling the word of God for profit, living in multi-million dollar homes, they're preaching and they're exporting a false Jesus which is poisoning your soul. You're following a false Jesus off the cliff that leads to destruction, and all the while you think you're doing swell. Woo! I can dig this false Jesus, uh, dig this Jesus. He gives me exactly what I want. Brothers and sisters, either you surrender to Jesus on Jesus' terms or you don't surrender at all. There is no Switzerland. You can't sit on the fence and you cannot have it both ways. And let me tell you, growing up in a 
world in this last hundred years of revivals and tent meetings and decisions, following Jesus is not a quick one-time decision where you say, yep, I'm with Jesus, and you leave and nothing changes. Nothing happens. You go on your merry way and you seek your carnal desires and nothing changes. There's a lot of people who think they're following Jesus, but they're following a self-made Jesus. I like Jesus in my liking. It's called a graven image. That's the second commandment, and it's forbidden. Jesus, following Jesus is a willful submission to King Jesus that must happen every hour of every day of every year of every decade of all of your life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian, put it this way in his, in his uh, classic book, The Cost of Discipleship. To deny oneself is to be aware of only Christ and no more of self. To see only Him who goes before and no more the road which is too hard for us. Once more, all that self-denial can say is this. Jesus leads the way. Keep close to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, you must put to death the desire to rule and reign over your life. The first time and every time. You must resist the lure to follow your heart. Disney tells our children this. Terrible advice. You must flee the resistance to be thine own self, be true, and to put yourself first. You must refuse the pride of doing it my way. I don't need anyone, and I can make it on my own. The reality is you can't. You need Jesus. You must resist the fact that you um, don't trust what uh, you cannot trust what you feel, what you think, and you desire. You must trust and submit to King Jesus. Following Jesus requires that you deny um, a self-driven life and submit every aspect of King Jesus. Everything from your emotions to your sexual attraction. Everything from your career to your retirement. Everything from your relationship to your personality. Everything from your thoughts to your words. Everything from your body to your emotions. Everything from your work to your leisure. Everything from your money to your possessions. Everything from your actions to your reactions. There is nothing in your life in the sphere of your existence that, do, that is beyond the authority of Jesus. And let me also tell you this. It's not just explicit things like sin that you have to resist, but you submit even things like your personality. It doesn't matter if your personality type is an introvert or an extrovert. It doesn't matter if you're an A, B, C, or D. It doesn't matter if you're loud or quiet, spontaneous or calculating, half empty or half full. It doesn't matter if your Enneagram is perfectionist to a peacemaker, from giver to challenger. Everything comes under the authority of Jesus Christ. And you cannot say, I don't want to do that, Jesus. That's just not how I'm made. I don't feel comfortable. Everything is submitted to Jesus, and it's difficult, but it's glorious because Jesus takes our weakness, our limitations, our discomfort, our suffering, and creates something glorious, and we don't get the credit. All glory, sola dea glory, all the glory goes to Jesus. We submit our personalities, our tendencies, our strengths and weaknesses, our hopes and our dreams, our calendar and our comfort. Everything is submitted to King Jesus. They don't belong to us anymore. My wife often reminds me when I don't want to do something, maybe in ministry or something's difficult, she reminds me of what I tell her at times. My life is not my own. I belong to King Jesus. When we're uncomfortable, when we're out of our comfort zone, when we don't really like to do that, we submit to King Jesus. 
Because Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is simply not a spectator sport. It's a call to nail to the cross your right of self-determination and to watch it die. It's the giving of everything you are and you dream to be to Jesus and holding nothing back. Bonhoeffer, again, in his Cost of Discipleship, wrote this. He says, the cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments to this world. It is the dying of the old man which is the result of the encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not a terrible and an otherwise uh, end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life. But it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. And remember this. When Christ calls a man and a woman, he bids them come and die. Following Jesus, brothers and sisters, is a bare-knuckle fistfight of saying no to self and yes to King Jesus. We fight our sin that comes our flesh in us, that we resist the immoral sexual behavior for Christ calls us to honor Christ with our bodies. We repudiate drunkenness, for Christ calls us to sober living. We reject the Lord to cheat and steal, for Christ calls us to integrity. We refuse the impulse to lash out in anger. Why? For Christ calls us to peace and self-control, trusting Him. But also, not only obvious sin are we called to put to death in us, but our sinful self must be crucified to follow King Jesus. In many ways, when they come out, all the intricate woven ways of sin that our sin nature comes forth, this bubbling, burgling cauldron of sin and manifests itself in different ways. The proud deny their desire for status and honor. The greedy refuse the ap- their appetite for wealth. The lazy renounce their love of ease. The timid abandon their need for security. The angry release their craving for revenge. The self-reliant let go of their stubborn refusal to admit that they need anyone. I don't need anyone. I'm good. No, Jesus says to love and be loved, to serve and be served. Because if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. Now, you may be thinking, how can Jesus make such a lofty claim to deny and write an empty check to Jesus and let him do what as he wishes? Are you serious? Denying self and to follow Jesus is not a mere trifle. It's a a monumental demand. And Jesus gives three reasons why you can deny yourself and and die to self to follow Jesus. Because one, he tells us don't lose your life. Don't lose your life. Notice verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. How you view your life has a profound impact of how you will live. Our world tells us we're a lump of cells that was created by chance, responding to chemical stimuli. And they'll tell you, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. If we believe this, of this existential hopelessness, if we believe that, your life will be governed by what feels good, what makes me happy, what's safe and secure and comfortable. Do you see any of that in the marketing? on Twitter, on Facebook, on the TV channels. Your life is not complete until you have our product. You have emptiness in your life. Buy this. 
If you live this way and you buy the, this, this understanding of life, trying to preserve life at all costs, you are what you own and are what you wear and are what you eat and are what you drive and are what you make. Your worth is found in what you have and what you do. So you will seek pleasures and you will seek comforts and you will seek amusements and you will avoid pain and you will seize power and you will have everyone look at me. You will seek self and be ruled by self. But experience tells us we can't save our lives and we're powerless to preserve it no matter how hard we try. There are two inevitable things, death and taxes, Ben Franklin said. We all will die. We realize that as we get older and we get weaker and the pains uh, start to set in. We realize that we're not invincible like we thought we were in our 20s. Only when we realize and let go of the fleeting pleasures of this world and hold even good things in our hands with open, open hands, not clinging to them, only then when we can realize that we can um, seek and embrace the eternal can we find fulfillment in Jesus. Only when we risk our safety and security and satisfaction from what this world offers will we be safe and secure and satisfied in Jesus. You must lose your life to keep her. Losers are keepers. But let me put a quick note here in, 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 in case any uh, mere stupidity should reign. We're not stupid. We don't go and drive without a seatbelt saying, if I get in an accident, Jesus will hold me fast. And we sing, he will hold me fast. That's just stupid. We, we don't refuse to take medication because of a common illness. We don't go f refuse to go to doctor saying, well, I'll be fine. That's just stupid. Because the means of grace God has given us through the medical fields. We don't, in the midst of a pandemic, ignore quarantine and social distancing because Jesus protects me from COVID. Go ask the bishop in Virginia who on March 15th called all his people and demanded them, if you're a good Christian, you're going to come to church. He turned the cameras and he says, I want to see everybody who's in, in this church right now and all those weak-hearted, faithless people who stayed home and then two weeks, he's dead of COVID-19. Oh, the bitter irony of the Lord. Living by faith does not call us to be silly and stupid. But living by faith says, I will hold the things of this world with an open hand because I am reaching for Jesus, who I know that is eternal and secure. I will forego finding my identity in the fleeting pleasures of this world for the eternal pleasures of that only can be found in Christ. Eternity with Jesus is more valuable than a season or a lifetime of pleasures and comfort and security. Therefore, I will deny myself and die to self that I may follow Jesus. We're called to not lose, to don't lose your life, trust Jesus, follow Jesus, and don't waste your life. May 20th, 2000, John Piper preached to a crowd of 40,000 teenagers and young 20-somethings at the, um, the Passion Conference in Memphis, Tennessee. He had found somewhere, he doesn't even know, a, an excerpt of Reader's Digest, and he exhorted his listeners to not waste their life, and he read this account. Bob and Penny took an early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 53. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. And Piper, in a silence, he looked out over the crowd, and he said, this is the American dream. 
Come to the end of your life, your one and only precious life, and let the last great work before you have to give an account to the Creator be, I collected shells. See my shells? This is a tragedy. Jim Elliot and his four companions going to the Ecuador is not a tragedy. That is heroic. That is amazing. Coming to the end of your life and wasting it by collecting shells and ignoring Jesus is a waste of your life. And this is the tragedy that I fear us in, in North Florida and the people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace this American dream and people are buying it. And he, Piper said, don't waste your life. Don't waste, brothers and sisters, for those of you who are retired, don't waste your retirement. The American dream is not the gospel. Your comfort is not the gospel. In fact, it's contrary to the gospel. And it will yourself will, will convince you that being a fanatic, a crazy for Jesus is not worth it. You can spend your life and get a cute home with a white picking fence and two well-behaved kids and a good job, go on nice vacations and be a model citizen and forfeit your soul. Because, why? Because you pursued the wrong thing. J.C. Ryle talked about how you can lose your soul. It says many men may lose his own soul. He cannot save it. We cannot save our souls. Christ alone can do it. But he, the man, us, can lose it. And we lose it in many different ways. He may murder it by loving sin and cleaving to the world. He may poison it by choosing a religion of lies and believing man-made superstitions. He may starve it by, by neglecting all means of grace and refusing to receive into his heart the gospel. Many are the ways that lead to the pits. Brothers and sisters, friends, those joining us online, to live for anything but for Christ is to waste your, your life and forfeit your soul. Therefore, I urge you, deny yourself, uh, take up your cross, and die to self and to follow Jesus. Not only are we called to don't lose your life, don't waste your life, and don't be ashamed of life in Christ. Verse 38 says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed. And he will come in his glory in the Father with the holy angels. Eternal life is offered to you in Christ. Will you joyfully follow His way or will you walk away in disappointment because that's really not what I want to do? Will you invest in the unseen yet eternal or will you choose the things that can be held in your hand and seen with your eyes that can be calculated and accumulated? Following Jesus and not being ashamed of Jesus is not manipulative face posts like this that say, let's see how many people on Facebook aren't ashamed to show their love for God and admit that Jesus is their Savior. We need to get God back into America. If you're not ashamed, copy and paste this into your status. This is not anybody at the church. I just did a random, random search. They're from Georgia, clearly. The opposite of not being ashamed of someone is to be proud of them, to admire them, to not be embarrassed to be associated with them, loving to be identified with Jesus. It's not a quick share, just make sure I don't go to hell. So um, Jesus is telling us, if you're embarrassed by me, are you embarrassed by what I did to save you from your sins, the price that I paid, not just, and there will be a times like Peter where we have a lapse in courage when we don't, uh, in, the, in the light of a question. But it's a, a state of the heart that is cold and ashamed of Jesus like a child is ashamed of their parents and will not visit or talk or associate with them. 
Jesus says, if you're not proud of me and you don't cherish me and what I did for you, if you want to put yourselves over with the goats who value your reputation in the goat herd more than you value me, the true shepherd, that's the way I will view you when I come, when I return. I will come ashamed of you and you will perish with the people who consider me an embarrassment, a fool, a wasted life. Ocean Park, will you embrace the paradox of the gospel that says losers are keepers, that we must lose our life to save it, or you identify with those who scoff at the the gospel? And if you say yes, identifying with Jesus and being proud of Jesus and seeking after Jesus uh, covers every sphere of your life. And to do that, you'll sacrifice your comfort, your honor, your security, and your pleasure to be known and identified as a follower of Jesus. In a moment, we will sing the great song, I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasure all forsaken. They're not valuable to me anymore. They're not my utmost priority. They're not my desire. They're not my, what I live for. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, my King, my Messiah, my Christ. I surrender all. You cannot sing this if you're you're seeking to save your life and your comfort and your pleasures and gain Christ. Because to follow Jesus, King Jesus, you must deny yourself and die to self, or you cannot follow Jesus. There are some, as you're listening, are scoffing. They probably already checked out and said, this guy is nuts. It's over the top. Don't you realize how extreme and fanatical this is? As long as I'm good and I believe in Jesus, I'm okay. God wants me to be happy and to be free. I made a decision. I'm good. Don't worry about me. I want to warn you. Jesus is not a self-help guru who empowers you to live your best life on your terms. He's a good king who has come to establish a kingdom where peace and justice and righteousness reign. You cannot be a servant of the king if you don't submit to his rule and his reign. If you do refuse his rule and his reign, and make, that makes you a rebel and a rival. Go read Revelation chapter 20 and 21 and see what happens in the end to rivals to the kingdom of the Almighty, the faithful and true. They are deposed and thrown into the pit of fire with Satan and his henchmen and all who shake their puny fists for eternity at the Almighty King Jesus, the Lamb of God. Jesus doesn't say to you, pay me lip service and don't act like a fool and don't cuss and you can be associated with me. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If you believe the words of Jesus are radical, you're right. They are radical to say, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Some of you will scoff, but at the same time, there are some of you that are are in despair right now. You have a very tender conscience. You fear that you don't do enough for King Jesus, that you rebel too much, you indulge in self too much. You're not worthy to follow Jesus. You're that little sheep that keeps going and wander. You keep falling into the same perpetual sin time and time again, and you realize you're not worthy to follow the King, and you sort of hesitantly follow him just in case he sees you and kicks you out. I want to comfort you. Denying self and following Jesus is not easy, and it is not natural, and it's not instantaneous. It's a lifelong process that you grow in as you follow Jesus. Yes, 
you need to get away with the, uh, do away with the big things, the, the things that you know are sin, and you need to, those treasured habitual sins that you need to put to death right away and say, you're, I, I'm kicking you out. But let me tell you this. The longer that you follow Jesus and the longer that the Spirit works in your heart, the more sin consciousness that you'll have. What do I mean by that? The longer you live, the more you realize how deep your problem is. Your cancer of sin is not neatly in one area that gets cut out, but its tentacles are deep and rooted and it has gone all over you. And the chemo of God's grace must come in and slowly battle and destroy that cancer of sin. Paul puts it this way in this struggle that we have. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked, and you're living in them, but now they must be put away. And look, it's not just the big ones immorality and purity and passions and evil desires and covetousness but what about those other things things that might be a little more comfortable for us or maybe in our blind spots or we are clueless anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth do not lie to one or one another seeing that you have put off the old self in its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator take heart for those of you who are struggling with sin Denying and dying to self is not instantaneous. It's a slow process of starving yourself and your sin nature to death. No longer feeding it and watching it die and feeding and stoking the flames of the Spirit of Christ that are in you. Being a disciple demands that you pursue what Christ desires, that you trust the wisdom of God, that you love what Christ loves, that you seek the kingdom where Christ reigns, and you long for Christ's return. For those of you who are thinking, I struggle and I know I'm not good enough, be encouraged. You're absolutely right. You're not good enough. Jesus knew that beforehand, and he died to redeem you everything. There are no skeletons in your closet that Jesus does not know. He has redeemed them all. His omniscience, he is all-knowing. He knows you better than you know yourself, and he loves you anyway. Deny yourself trying to be good enough. Follow Jesus, who is good enough. Deny yourself trying to be smart enough. Follow Jesus, who is wisdom and whose wisdom is deep and full. Deny yourself trying to be strong enough. Follow Jesus, whose strength is enough and unrivaled. Confess your insufficiency. Confess your failures. And follow the one who is sufficient. Say to King Jesus, I don't trust myself anymore. I want to trust you. Save me, Lord. I am yours. With a confidence that anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and follow me. Because to follow King Jesus, you must deny yourself and die to self, or you cannot follow Jesus. It was Tertullian who said, uh, the great, uttered the great words, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. This certainly was the case in the remote jungles of Ecuador in 1958. As the world mourned, this is Life magazine, as the world mourned and criticized the missionary team, Elizabeth Elliot and Nate Saint, two of the, uh, I'm sorry, Rachel Saint, and decided to remain in Ecuador and work with another people who were in the nearby Echecon people. One fateful day, two women had run away from the Wadami tribe, from the Aka Indians, arriving in their settlements. For the next two years, Elizabeth and Rachel learned their language so that they could go to the people that had killed their husbands and bring them the good news of the gospel. After moving to the village, Elizabeth and Rachel began to teach the Aka Indians from the Bible. 
The women's forgiveness and acceptance of the tribe, they were denying themselves bitterness, anger, uh, comforts, uh, fear that they would do it to them as well. It was their women's forgiveness and acceptance that led them, the tribe to trust King Jesus. They taught them to forgive fearlessly and love tremendously, which forever transformed their way of life. One of the first men to receive Jesus Christ, King Jesus, as his Lord and Savior was a man named Minkaye, the man who speared Nate Saint and Ed McCulley to death. Jim Elliott was no fool for going to Ecuador, and he knew the risks of going to this remote tribal group. Yet both Jim and Elizabeth Elliott, Nate and Rachel Saint, counted the cost. They knew the risks of going uh, was um, risk of not going was even greater. Because of their faithfulness, today a large majority of the Wanari people are believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because those five families knew to follow King Jesus, they must deny themselves and die to selves, or they could not follow Jesus. May we follow Jesus today and tomorrow and the rest of our lives. In Christ's name. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we need you. You are life, you are joy, in you are pleasures forevermore. The things of this world are fleeting and fading. The pleasures of sin are uh, poison to our soul. But even the good things that you give us, family and work and, and joy and music and laughter in our families, even our churches, become idols and we cling to those things when infinite joy is in Christ and following King Jesus who leads us into his kingdom for eternity that we may dwell in perfect peace and joy with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all those who have trusted Jesus, who have denied themselves and died to self to follow Jesus. Father, may we submit deny ourselves, repent of our sin, our self-allegiance of reigning in our own kingdom and trust in Jesus and follow Jesus all the days of our life. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.